Hi, Danielle. Hi. We can finally do this. All right, so just to start off, welcome to Comics First. It's been an interesting ride getting here, of course, because we both have, you know, crazy schedules and also Internet is scary sometimes. So I'm glad that I got you on the phone, which is really great. And I see that you're really active on the Internet, on your Tumblr and just your normal website. You're going to be joining for the Origins podcast this weekend. Mm -hmm. So you haven't ever done comic podcasts before. One question to ask, what do you expect or like, what are you excited about? Because it's your first time. I've never done it, first of all, but second of all, kind of like discussing topics and ideas and material that I've read is kind of a new thing, too. I don't usually do that. So it'll be nice to kind of go back and forth with other people. Yeah, that's awesome. You are involved with Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and the Emma Frost podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, the Swamp Thing. Okay, so just as a question, are you a fan of both or either? And if not, why? Like, I'm just curious as to what your feelings are for Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and just Emma Frost's character across the board. Just because I know that you told me earlier that you weren't really familiar with her, and I wasn't either when I first got into her, which was, what, three weeks ago? So (laughs) I kind of just want, you know, just like a frame of reference of how you feel about going into those origin stories. Yeah, I mean, typically with a character like Emma Frost, from, you know, her, like, general background and origin story... She is a character that I would be into if, you know, I had the opportunity to get into her. So this might be that for me, you know, like it might be a good opportunity for me to kind of become a little more familiar with her character and her story. So sometimes it takes something like this to kind of get into a new character. Right, because you need to know what they're, how they were built into the character that they are, because sometimes you can just see her as like a busty villain and it's no big deal. Yeah, but all around kind of unfamiliar with her character as a whole. But yeah, with the Swamp Thing podcast, I'm really excited just because Alan Moore's Swamp Thing was kind of groundbreaking thing for Mm -hmm. me and I guess a lot of other readers too, because he kind of took a character that was very, I don't want to say like one-dimensional, but was, you know, like a monster that would transform and kind of turned it into a very, like a much deeper, more kind of spiritual story about Mm -hmm. a guy more so like reincarnated into, and and it's more of a journey of like him figuring himself out, which I don't know, I, I guess it's kind of typical like Alan Moore to get a little bit more spiritual, spiritual is the word, but more, more complex, I guess. And then on top of that, when I was in college, I did a workshop with Stephen Bissett, who did the artwork for a lot of the first issues. Um, And he did a lot of like demos and kind of showed us how his approach to illustrating those comics, like the Swamp Thing comic, that was really awesome because the artwork and and the writing went so hand in hand and so was so compatible. I think that that was kind of the really fascinating thing about Alan Moore kind of taking on Swamp Thing because I don't want to say that it was seamless. Like the transition, I I don't want to say it was seamless, but he kind of took the story and idea and totally broadened it into a whole new realm of ideas. So for someone like Alan Moore to take something that had been previously worked on and to make it something completely the same, but also different and a a lot more free as Mm -hmm. far as like a lot more limitless as far as the like exploration of something goes. I think he just took something that had been the beginning of a story and it pushed it further and explored a whole new side of the character and and not even the character, but he's introducing the idea of love that and I think that's just kind of not typical Alan Moore, but it's just you expect something a lot more spiritual and a lot deeper from the, the Alan Moore swamp thing. 
Um, right, which, which I find interesting because with Alan Moore, if you read anything about his history, he's not a normal dude in the in like the most cultural sense at all. Like he right. like takes a lot of drugs. He like experiences a lot of different things. You can tell with his writing and with how he writes and how he wants panels to be designed that that's a thing. In a weird way, like, of course, there's that stigma of someone who has, you know, a drug problem is always, like, more in touch with everything. When I was reading some of the volumes of Swamp Thing, it's very interesting because it taps into a very real experience. It's almost, like, hallucinogenic and, or, like, I don't want want to say psycho, but even when it's not trippy, it's very psychological. And I think that's why he reaches so many people, because people relate to everything he says, even no matter how maddening it is. So I think it makes sense that you and I care about Swamp Thing, because in a weird way, it's like the most visceral and pure thing, because he's nature. He's pure nature, which is how you feel when you are on hallucinogenic, basically. You just think everything is pure. I don't know if that's a good follow-up to the next question, but I hear that you're a big Sandman fan, and I haven't finished it. I read up to Dreamcatcher, and that ruined my life forever. Like, not in a bad way, but it ruined my life forever after reading Dreamcatcher. So the follow-up question is, you're a big Sandman fan. What do you like about it? Like, what do you like about his storyline, or what do you like about the art? And I'm just curious about that. I mean, actually, it's not a bad transition from the last question to this one, because it's kind of taking a lot of metaphysical things and ideas and personifying them. And I always really love that in a story because it's the most challenging thing to tackle as far as storytelling. To right. Like an idea or a concept or a feeling and personifying it and creating a character out of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I love that story is both within the genres of horror and fantasy. It's not very narrow as far as the genre. Right. Would you say that Neil Gaiman's take on storytelling in comparison to Alan Moore's take on storytelling, would you say that Neil Gaiman is a little bit more, I don't want to say mystical because that sounds a little bit loaded, but it's a little bit more, I mean, Alan Moore has elements of hope too, but Neil Gaiman has a lot more magic. Life is magic. Do you know what I mean? Or from what I, from me as a reader, I feel like Neil Gaiman has a lot more magic. There are some real things happening but there's a reason for everything, and everything has this cosmic reasoning. And then with Alan Moore, it's kind of just this weird, natural chaos. My question, going from Alan Moore to Neil Gaiman, is is that what you liked about Neil Gaiman, that kind of ordered, magical aspect of kind of being like, everything means something, or does Alan Moore get to you in the sense that he's more like chaotic, but it's like a beautiful chaos. That's a really philosophical question, but I'm just curious because they're both very philosophical people, I think. Yeah, everything that you just touched on is the reasons why I like Neil Gaiman and and Alan Moore. And you're right that definitely Alan Moore, his approach is a lot more of a a beautiful chaos, and Neil Gaiman is more of a fantastical, whimsical kind of approach. Both have their really dark qualities, and then both have their kind of whimsical qualities. I had been reading, I read Sandman when I was a lot younger and didn't quite get my head around it when I was younger. Right, yeah. But still his writing, like, appealed to me and was still kind of something that I was Mm -hmm. really, like, intrigued by. And then with Alan Moore, it took a lot more time for me to be able to to kind of wrap my head around those concepts and and the ideas that he introduces. And and I think they're both very magical writers, I guess, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's not even about preference. It's just, like, you hold them in two different regards then. Right. 
appropriately, especially with these two writers. Um, the next question is, is horror your favorite comic book genre to read or to write or to create for? And what is it about it that you like so much? Yes, I think horror overall is kind of my, my favorite genre. And, and it's like what I tend to like read and produce the most of. But I guess because there's so much more within that category, like I guess I wouldn't say my taste is limited to horror or that it defines my body of work as a whole. I think what I enjoy most about it is that a lot of times it's like a combination of different genres within one. So a lot of times there's fantasy mixed into horror and that I love. And as I get older and as I mature artistically and with, with the material that I like reading and, and the type of films I like watching, I think I like appreciate that, the merging of genres. Right, because it's progression by being experimental with, like, genre bonding. Of course, you would be interested in that because you're an artist. You would want the next step. I mean, I I find that really... I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you at all, but I I find that really interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with Ben Templesmith's work at all, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so he's under IDW, and I love his stuff because... His artwork, as well as his writing, is very much horror-based, but somehow it's still funny. That's right. kind of why I like it. It's a very weird mix of the genre. So that goes into what you were saying about how you like things that mix that genre. Do you think that there's anything specific to horror as a genre that you relate to or feel like you feel strongly about as an artist or even as someone who reads comics? Yeah, I guess aside from the visual representation of things, like I love the aesthetic of vampires and monsters and ghosts and and werewolves and whatever. Aside from that, I think my favorite aspect of the horror genre is the way that that it twists reality and kind of puts Mm -hmm. the reader or viewer into a completely different mindset that they've never been in. I think that's what excites me most is is reading something and being like, whoa, I I have no idea how I would feel about this if I were in that situation. Right, yeah. Like, I I would never know how to react to that, or or what if I had to react to that, or I don't know. And I guess something excites me about that lack of, you know, like the unknown. Yeah, I mean... I love the fact that you're saying this just because I don't want to assume anything, but I used to be terrified of horror movies, but now I love watching them just because I love the thrill of them. But it's one of those things that once you get to a certain point, it's kind of you like that excitement of just knowing or seeing something you've never seen before. And you're just like, oh, my God, what is that? But like the curiosity doesn't defeat you from like looking looking at it, so it's kind of like that interest of, okay, what is that? I want to understand it, and it's scary, but you still want to know it, and it's really interesting because there are a lot of people who don't like or appreciate horror because they don't want to tap into that part of themselves. Do you think horror is kind of very internal, like, self-reflection that people don't want to deal with, or do you think it's just, like, an externalization of everything you're afraid of? Or both. I can't say that because I love the genre and because I'm so fascinated with with a lot of the imagery and stuff. Because you were saying, you know, you used to have a fear, but then kind of learn to accept it. I still am terrified by a lot. Like, sometimes I'll draw something and I'm like, wow, this is really scary. And I'm like, I scare myself. And then I'm like, I really enjoy that it evokes this feeling. And I think that's what I love the most because I think, I don't know, I think what I appreciate most about storytelling and comics and film is, is when a feeling is evoked, whether it's mm-hmm. a feeling 
feeling. And sometimes it's just a, a much bigger impact when it's like a, a bad feeling, you know, and not, not the bad yeah. kind of feeling that like makes you depressed or whatever, but the kind of feeling. Just like just a like, negative. Yeah. Not necessarily pleasant. Yeah. Right. Like totally disturbed and totally pushed out of a comfort zone that I don't know, something about being able to do that and being able to achieve that, that sort of that feeling and being able yeah. to evoke that from other people is like, I think what fascinates me most about it, but of course, like the aesthetic, like just, you know, to be very plain and simple, like the aesthetic of it, whether there's a reason or not, just has always appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And also maybe because it was very forbidden when I was younger, because culture. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, it's like the same with everything. It's like, if you're denied something, you want it all the more. Yeah. Like, I totally understand that. It's very like, oh, you're not old enough to watch this. And you're like, but I want to. (laughs) I'm like, even if you, like, don't even really care about it, you still want to, like, rebel because you are at that age where you want to rebel to something. So this is a perfect segue into the next question, which is in a previous interview, I wasn't there, so it doesn't matter. But no, no, that's not. I'm just kidding. But in a previous interview, (laughs) you said that you always wanted to be an artist but wasn't sure you could make a career out of it which is very typical for most artists, I think. I think about myself because I'm selfish, but what was your aha moment? What was your kind of epiphany that helped you realize, yeah, I could really do something with this? Because you have made you have made a career out of it. You have done things from it, and you have a portfolio. You have websites. You've done things. As someone who truly wants to get to that place, either in drawing or writing or both, I really do sincerely, just as a person, want to know as well how you got to that point because I think as people we can relate and it's really easy to kind of idolize people who have succeeded. And with you, it's very easy to talk to you because you're such a nice person and you're so (laughs) personable. So I kind of just wanted to know, was there ever a moment, like like a turning point where you were like, yeah, I can do this with my art? or, excuse me, but, like, do shit with it, or if it was just kind of this weird, organic thing that happened, and you were like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. So I'm kind of curious about that, too, because I'm trying to figure out that. On that note, I do want to see your work sometime, but it was kind of both, like, an aha moment, but also very organic after I had the moment. So I think it was a combination of several kind of aha moments, I guess, that that Mm -hmm. made made me realize it. Yeah, I mean, I was in school initially for, I mean, I know we're going to talk about this later, but yeah, like, I actually didn't know that this was the path I was kind of going to take, but, Mm -hmm. so yeah, initially I didn't study illustration. I mean, I'd always been drawing since I was little and always read comics and was really into, like, doodling comics, but I didn't plan since I was younger that this would be the path. I knew that I would be drawing or doing some form of art, but yeah, initially I was going to be doing computer animation. And then I went to like a comic book convention a long, long time ago, not a long, long time ago, but a few years ago, and was just there kind of looking around and making friends and kind of like seeing which new artists were out there and trying to... Right, yeah. And yeah, I guess I kind of realized that all of these people who I was going to have my book signed by and like, you know, people whose work I was buying Mm -hmm. doing it for a living. And so I guess talking to them immersed in that sort of environment made me realize, wow, all of these people make a living, make somewhat of a living. It's not an easy, you know. uh, No, of course not. Yeah. Career, but, you know, they make a living doing this and they enjoy it. And, And I guess aside from that, 
it helps to take on projects that are, I mean, I, I don't know if this is tacky of me to say, but like to start getting paid to do work is mm-hmm. where that, that organic transition kind of happens where you're like, wow, I'm like right. getting paid to do this thing that I love doing. And it's like, I didn't think it was possible. And then I kind of explored the options and realized mm-hmm. the was not for me and that people do comics and they, they do, you know, I mean, grow up. I mean, no, that's really valid. It's funny because I always ask this question to any artist, not even just comic book related, just any artist, musician, yeah. writer, anything. Or like, I mean, I guess a writer could be comic for a comic book related, but just in essence, I'm talking about any kind of artist. I always talk about what drives them, right? When I hear what you're talking about and how you were lo- like just very logically just like talking to people that were like-minded or had similar interest to you and were your peers, it's really interesting because with the comic book universe, I feel like it's one of those few places that everyone's a peer even if you're very successful. And it's really nice to hear that you were able to talk to people and just get a really honest answer from them. And most often it's not like go to art school and do this, this, and this. It's never like as simple as that. It's very much do, just do what you feel like you love and someone will like it. And I think that that's really amazing because that's not as direct as like say a corporate job, of course. And, like, we're all culturally ingrained to think that way. But it's really comforting to hear you, someone who I find successful, tell me that you've gone to cons and just been like, oh, my God, I'm a huge fan, and these are the things that I want to do, and, like, what do you think? And they're just like, dude, just do your thing. And it's not like you're, you're celebrity in the sense that, by word, you're celebrity, and you have all, like, the reverence that you need. But in terms of money, it doesn't, it's not like you're Kanye or anything, but it's not what people want. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's what I like about it, because it's very, it's very, like, low-key in a strange way, because people revere it or exalt it so vehemently, argue over it, like, argue over the death for it. And yeah. yet, it's not monetized at all in that way. And I think that's really important. So that goes into, like, just big names, Mike Mignola. I might be pronouncing his last name wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding is that Mike Mignola of Hellboy is one of your biggest influences. And in what way has his art specifically influenced you, do you think? Yes, he is definitely one of my biggest influences. (laughs) And... I think, aside from just being the the creator of such a character like Hellboy, aside from that, just his choices and his design and his compositions is kind of what appeals to me most. It's like I've, you know, my work is sometimes very, very derivative of Mignola's work just because he has such an eye for design. And sometimes take the most simple composition, or he'll take a complex character or, or design and turn it into the most simple composition. So that's something that's always been kind of a mystery to me because it's the hardest, I mean, in my opinion, it's the hardest thing to achieve, you know, mm-hmm. to make like a complex image, you know, like an explosion or... Oh um, my God, of course, yeah, because you, know, yeah, you have like, to make it not look like any other explosion. <laughs> right, exactly, and then you have to be able to, to stay true to regards to Mignola, stay true to his style, but still, but still communicate, you know, an image or, or an idea, 
And yeah, I think that that's like the hardest thing to achieve for any artist. I don't know in what mode of storytelling that I want to get into, but just like looking at your art on your Instagram and your Tumblr and your website, it's really interesting because I find that you're very stylistically adaptive. You're able to fulfill so many different roles as an artist for any writers or any person that wants it because there is even one here. There's one that's like that I feel most about. That's called The White Winter, I think, in French. And it's beautiful and I love it. And it's really interesting because I don't know if you're familiar. I'm sure you are. But when I see it, it so makes me think of James Jean. And it's like, it's very beautiful in the sense that like stylistically, it stands out to me among all of your other things, because I can tell that you feel more comfortable with ink work and you're fantastic at ink work. Like I saw your Kill Bill characterization and your Greek art and just everything else that you've done in ink. And I can tell that you feel more comfortable in that. And yet with your paintwork, it's so interesting or like your even your mixed media illustration, I find it so interesting that you can reach a certain style that someone else has already reached before, and it's almost nonchalant for you. Or, I mean, I'm not saying nonchalant in the sense that you are knowingly like, yeah, this is just as good as James Jean. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I really appreciate the fact that you're very stylistically mutable in that way because so many people that I've been taught by or I've worked with have always been like, you have to be more consistent about what kind of art you create. And when I see art like this, especially like the white winter, it's really interesting because even though this stands out to me stylistically, I can see it within a gallery of all of your other pieces. I can see how they all add up. Thank yeah, you. and like I, I just, I just personally appreciate that because I don't, I'm not expecting you to have an answer for that. I'm just saying that I don't even have an answer for that. I don't know how no, I do. I'm going to deal with that. I, and I it's do have, like I do I'm. Some thoughts. I used to also be very self-conscious about about that actually because I couldn't really make up my mind as far as the look that I wanted kind of to work with and, and the medium that I wanted to work in and and it, I found it really hard to kind of stay focused on one specific look with my work mm-hmm. and then but that's actually, so it was actually um, sorry go ahead yeah no that I, I did that workshop with Stephen Bissett the artist of Swamp Thing yeah and he was kind of doing like one-on-one sessions with people it was really cool you know I went to him and I was I'm really confused as far as I'm like kind of all over the place and it's not not that I'm not having fun because mm-hmm. I like you know, trying new mediums and I like trying new stylizations of characters and faces and, and whatever, but like, uh, you know, what, which one should I stick to? And I was like, can you tell me which one I should stick to? And he was, why would you ever want to limit yourself to one mm-hmm. look? And granted, you know, when people do have that look and they develop a really consistent style, then I, I have a lot of respect for them and a lot of admiration for them. But I also don't think that it's necessary to limit yourself to one look or one style just because I guess I have to look at it on the on the positive side because with this I can kind of maybe cater to a lot of different areas and different arenas of of illustration. I've done like children's books that were really kind of upbeat and and bright and and cartoony and then I've done some really dark terrifying things. I think sometimes I have to I have to stay positive about that versatility and not get too hard on myself about being consistent or... Right. Well, I mean, I bring it up because I think 
that I've had both ends of that argument in the sense that I appreciate what you're saying about how you would stay prolific and you would stay kind of experimental with the style that you're choosing because in doing that, you will be approached by many different people. Do you know what I mean? Because like you can do whatever, you can do whatever, you can serve whatever purpose they want them to. And also you would have your own like, okay, like I like horror. So that's going to come into it if I do that. And like you have the choice to do that. And it's funny because I was talking to Declan Shalvey a little while ago about Moon Knight and Injection. And he's very different in the sense that, okay, to be fair, he's not like the same as you at all. I'm not trying to compare at all, but I'm just saying that he's farther along in the sense like of just age and experience. And it's funny because he was like, yeah, I worked for Marvel for a really long time, but it was never anything that was me. It was never, never anything that was my thing. So with Injection, I got the chance to work with Warren Ellis, who was nice enough to approach me to do it with him. And we work together about it. I don't want to sound petty, but that doesn't happen very often. Great writers don't usually just reach out to artists and be like, you're doing this for me now. Right. And you're going to be a co-creator. It's not even that, that you're just a just an artist. Warren Ellis was just a god in that way. But like, yeah. it's interesting to hear from you, your perspective as an artist, because it must be really hard because even for me, like on either spectrum or even on a personal level, it's hard to trust anyone. And it's interesting that you have willingly stylistically changed or like not even changed, but stylistically are fluid with what you produce and what you present to people. Because right. at first I thought, oh, she doesn't have something that's cohesive. But at the same time, when you look at it, it's really cohesive because you you are in there anyway. It doesn't matter if anyone understands it, but, like, I saw you in there. Like, even just talking to you right now, I can understand that that horror aspect or, like, that aspect of terror or aspect of not being understood is in there in every drawing that you do. And Thank even you. if it's not exactly the same, it's still in there. And I think that that's what I like about your art, just as an offside because I can see your influences from Mike Mignola for sure because I'm reading Casanova right now. I don't know if Mignola does Casanova, but I'm pretty sure he does. But it's a very harsh or like very rigid and yet very human and very personable. And I don't know, like as someone who's gone to college, I don't know how to explain that. I don't like, I don't know how to explain that at all. But he makes those sharp lines so personable, especially with Hellboy, too, because he's such a personable character right. and nobody likes him. But it's it's really interesting to talk to you, especially because you are such a, or I would assume, a fan of Hellboy and his art, or Mike Mignola's art. That's not popular right now, you know? Yeah. And I guess that leads to, sorry, okay, wow, so much time has passed. Okay, the next question. Some people, my boss being one, took a long time to acquire a taste for any art. This is going back to, like, how I don't know what I'm I'm doing with my life. But anyway, um, what would you say to someone who's read Hellboy specifically but was turned off by the art? Would you say that it was due to a lack of understanding or was it just, like, a matter of taste? 
You know, I'm going to be honest, the first time that I was actually ever introduced to Mignola's work was kind of like a weird thing for me because my very initial response was kind of, huh, you know, I, I guess I didn't really like digest it immediately. It took me a minute to process it and to, to, to recognize how good it was. And I guess that's kind of the magic of his work is that maybe like a very open-minded person to be able to visually understand because it's almost so simple that that some people might confuse it for being like, like too understandable or, yeah or, yeah like primitive or maybe yeah maybe too digestible or something that it becomes right but but I think once I really like took it in and and looked at it for a few more minutes I realized how sophisticated it was and mm-hmm. uh, much was being conveyed through so little and it's crazy because you know maybe a person who at first doesn't really like it, maybe they just don't see the amount of thought that goes into each composition and each right. uh, shape and design. And Because it's all very methodical and it's all very like, there's a formula to, to each to each panel and each page that um, Mignola creates. So, um, right. yeah, I mean, it could be like a lack of understanding to his technique, but it could also just be a normal reaction because I am a huge fan of his work and like very, very inspired by him. And my initial response to his work was kind of, wow, this is really, you know, bizarre and, and hard for me to understand visually. And then it just took my, a little bit more stimulating in my brain for me to like understand it. So like, I guess that leads into the next question in the sense that what are some of your favorite Hellboy issues and also, the main point is what drew you to this issue? Because there are, like, I understand completely, like, there are totally comics that sometimes I'm just in the thick of, and still, I'm just, should I keep reading this? And then, like, you still read it anyway. So is there anything with Hellboy specifically that you felt with that, where it's just kind of, I don't get it, or I don't get the art, or I don't get the dialogue, or I don't get the story, but you still kept with it, and it did something for you or it was it just kind of because like you are a fan so it's just kind of did it fizzle out or was it one of those things that there was a specific issue where you're just like yeah like this is exactly like what I want or like this makes sense to me and I guess I'm just asking just specifically what Hellboy issue that you liked and what drew you about the series itself I guess I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that initially when I was first introduced to Hellboy, I was very in touch with with the issues and was following the series and everything for the story. And that's not to say that my interest in the story fizzled out, but it became it became more of like a visual thing for me, which happens to me a lot with comics. Is I'll start like really reading into them a lot, and I'll read and read and read, and then like it kind of becomes more about the art for me and I stop actually right. the work, follow the panels and kind of follow it visually. That being said, I mean, I, I can't really say that there's like one specific issue that appealed to me most because they all, you know, have their own right. for reason. But, but one of the ones that I sometimes refer to when I'm stuck, I mean, I guess the only way I can talk about it is from like an artistic standpoint. And a mm-hmm. lot of times I refer to certain issues and certain books because I'm stuck and I can't think of ideas or I can't create an image and I'm okay, what would this person do? What would this artist do? And one right. of the Hellboy issues that I that I oftentimes refer to just from like a visual standpoint is in hell. I think it's the third 
the third, I'm, I don't know, but it's like, obviously the storytelling visually is super powerful, but in terms of the color palette that, I mean, I don't know if I'm getting too, like, artsy mm-hmm. farty right now. No, but. no, no, I want this, girl, You, I want this, like, just go in, because I literally want to hear your whole artistic process in the most intimate way, this is why we're doing this. But yeah, I think in this specific one, there's such a variety of colors that he uses, it's harder for me to like follow a story and I, I oftentimes pick up comics to kind of become more visually stimulated by them than right 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 especially now of all times of course you would be drawn to something that's visually stimulating like I even feel that way and I identify myself as a writer so I totally understand that where it's yeah. kind of just it's so terrible because especially with comic books even if the cover art is done by a completely different artist it's like right. it's I totally always- judge I totally judge the cover but the contents and then I just look and I'm like wait this isn't what I wanted And like, I've, yeah, and I've suffered that so many times. So it's really interesting because as I don't want to self-identify as an artist because that seems unfair in a weird way because I haven't decided in what media I want to choose. But I really enjoy the fact that with your art specifically, there's a real sense of darkness. And I don't know if you were inspired by a certain era in art history like I could see some like dark romanticism or dolly or surrealism or dadaism or something but I don't know if that was ever your intent I'm not usually one to go after someone about what they're intending to do it's more just what they create because at that point it's not yours anymore but I just wanted to know if you had any inspiration in terms of what you create specifically? Because for me, like, it's really hard to identify what it is that inspires me. Yeah, I I mean, a lot of my inspiration is derived from, like, a lot of different places and things, but there's definitely specific artists in, I guess I would, I guess the, like, the golden age of illustration that, that appealed to me most, that, like, if we're going way back, that, like, really inspire me. I would say the one that inspires me most is Aubrey Beardsley, which was kind of like the old school Magnola or kind of just just the or like reminds me a little bit of like a much simpler Harry Clark. Kind right, of right, 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 right. Just very like simple black and white graphic shapes. And a lot of it is very dark, but also very romantic. And I think that's what I love most. And I know like Aubrey Beard, like, he was very influenced by Japanese woodcuts, which are very graphic shape based. Um, yeah, design. like they, so, yeah, they go in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so like the Art Nouveau black and white era has influenced me a lot. And even within like my comic stuff, I think I refer to those, those like older periods and artists, sometimes more so than modern, you know, newer. I don't even, and, and when I say newer, I mean within the last 20, 30 years kind of thing. Right, you know, like right, 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 right. Sometimes I think I'm more heavily influenced by that era of of art artwork and artists than than sometimes like the more modern. But right, but what do you think that's related to? Do you think that it's related to just time, or like different priorities, or different styles, or what is it about like the older masters that you care about so much more than the recent ones? 
I guess it's their approach and then also their motives, like their their goals that surrounded their work. So I guess, you know, I, I mean, and maybe I'm getting a little too deep with it. I think, I don't know, I think I'm most inspired by the Art Nouveau, like Golden Age kind of artists is because of the timeless element to, to the work. There's just something very timeless about the illustrations of, of Aubrey Beardsley and something that like still people refer to, maybe even subconsciously, just because it was so new and, and you know, right. innovative and different for its time. And I don't know, I love that about... Yeah, about. I mean, I also love the fact that that kind of art is still so... I don't want to say hip because that's a loaded word, but it's oh, still it's super true. hip right now. Like, everyone's just like, yeah, this is a nouveau cigarette ad of this girl. And I'm just <laughs> yeah, like, that's been around for a while. And, like, it's so funny because people really like that still, like, still an aesthetic. And even now, which is funny because, you know, as you probably realize, aesthetics are always changing all the time, especially because of the speed of technology. So it's just funny that something as old as that could still be like, yeah, this is really, like, beautiful and hip. And you're like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Like, it's been a thing. (laughs) No, and and it goes to, like, what you were saying, you know, like, Dali also very much inspires me. And Bill is, like, such a prominent name in, like, the art world because he was kind of, like, I don't want to say he was the first to do what he did, but was kind of the first to, like, initiate that, that like, surrealist movement. and Yeah, um, of course. He was the first one to just fuck all this shit. I'm going to exactly. do my thing. And people were like, yeah, I fuck with this because he had a good background of doing real shit. Dali, fucking Leonardo, Da Vinci, like, they all did... I don't want to say legit things because that doesn't sound right. They did, like, anatomically <laughs> correct stuff for the longest time. And that yeah. at some point they made a turn and was just like, never mind, I want to do this now. And then everyone just followed it because they already were under that spell of, oh, he knows how to, like, he knows how to reach us because he can draw people. Which is so weird because... As an artist or even an inventor, it's why is this reverence happening? Like, it's very interesting. And I guess that leads into my next question about, because I told you previously that I'm still really kind of ambivalent about my own artistic abilities. And I would love to, of course, like, it sounds so pushy say, like, I want to show my art to you. But I would want to collaborate with you in some way, of course, because you're so talented. And the question is, you were previously mentioned as confident in your inking skills, which I'm shit at. And (laughs) do you have, like, a piece of work on your website or anything that you're particularly, particularly proud of because of inking? Okay, I think because since the last interview I had where I mentioned being most confident in my inking, I think, not that I've declined, but I do think that I've become maybe more confident in other mediums than just inking. But Oh, but no, that's awesome. Then I want to know about those. Tell me about those like, instead. Definitely the thing about, like, my inking abilities is that I kind of use that as my my comfort thing. So when I know I have, like, a deadline or I have to finish something you know, maybe in a in a quicker time frame than something else. And yeah, I, I usually ink because it's it's like the most systematic kind of like formulaic method that I that I use. So right. I know how to start and end something when I'm inking and, and how long it's going to take usually and whatever. 
But yeah, there are like some other mediums that I've like been experimenting with over the last couple of years that I became a little bit more into and a little bit more comfortable with. But I'm using a lot of pastels lately, which is kind of a... <gasps> That's so cool. It's, I'm so yeah, happy you're doing that. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I'm like kind of mixing it into... I mean, it started off as, you know, my own fun time kind of medium, but... I'm kind of mixing it and merging it into like comics and, and, you know, I guess that's, that's like, I don't know how far that will go or how <laughs> successful that will be, but it's fun for me right now. And like, I know I'll always be inking and I enjoy inking most, but, but I've been trying to get a little bit more experimental lately. That's um, fantastic. That's the best thing <laughs> to hear from an artist, I feel like, because you, you know your strengths, and you still want to experiment. I love that. That's amazing. And especially with pastels, especially now with how, I don't want to say tenuous, but how interesting the relationship is between digital and analog right now. Like, some people can do it beautifully. Like, the people who do it beautifully are obviously selling shit. You know what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. low, Greg Tuccini's low, or Odyssey's Rick Remender. Like, they're selling shit because the art is just so otherworldly. Like, they're able to combine those two medias very well. And as someone who's really tentative about experimenting with shit like that, it's so nice to hear you say that you're just experimenting with other things and you're just like, yeah, like, I... I know I'm comfortable with this thing, but that's not enough for me. Like, I want to do more. And the fact that you're doing pastels is so cool because I love pastel art in comics. It's the best. It's so underrated. That and watercolors are so... I mean, watercolors are pretty, like, legit. Like, I think that they're they're being pretty represented right now by sci-fi comics. But pastels are so underrated as an art form for <laughs> comics right now, and I so appreciate that you're doing something about it. So, okay, yeah, no, like, I just went off the grid a little bit. but uh, <laughs> No, I, I always I always love inking, but, yeah, I have to experiment or I kind of go crazy. So, yeah, I'm trying to keep myself entertained while I still stay efficient with my, my inking and all that. You kind of incorporate all those different aspects of different eras into your art, depending on what you like. I guess, what is it about darker images or themes that draws you into doing that or producing that work? Or even if you don't understand it, you can say that too, because some artists just like, I just produce whatever comes into my mind. <laughs> even if it's oh. not dark to you, you can say that. The question is like, what is the draw, like the draw you have with darker images? And I don't know, like, I don't even see your images as so much dark. I just think that they're severe. Not in uh, a bad way. Yeah, no, I think they have, like, dark, maybe dark undertones or like, dark subtleties. But, I mean, and sometimes it's very, like, in your face, like, hey, this is a dead person. And then and then sometimes it's not, and it's, like, very, maybe very like, whimsical with, like, an undertone of, of darkness. But I think, like, where I'm drawn to that is because, well, I guess everybody's work is fueled primarily by, I mean, maybe not everybody, but at least for me, like, my work is best fueled by my personal experiences and right. and kind of, like, my more, you know, the, the things that are closer to home, I, I guess you could say, and kind of your, you know, your cultural makeup and, and all of that, musical. So, I mean, I, I grew up kind of listening to a lot of, like, darker music, so maybe that had to play a role in it, but so had my struggles that kind of, like, fueled that, and then do a lot of, like, war 
war-related work sometimes, and like comics that are like war-related. Not all of them are related to this specific war, but being from Lebanon, it's like kind of like a war-ridden. Right. Country. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of my darker images and works kind of, I mean, maybe not, I think that's, I mean, was the question about mine or maybe about like other artwork that's like... That's the thing, like, this might be insolent of me, but I feel like very connected to you on just like a human level. So if I was asked this question, I wouldn't know how to answer either just because I know how I feel about certain things, but I don't know if I create for those reasons. Do you know what I mean? And for you, I don't think you create for those reasons necessarily. It's very like, I'm sure they contribute, of course, but it's not like you go and be like, I want this to be this. It's kind of just, okay, let's see what happens. And, And like, I think that the reason why I ask is just because I wish that I had the benefit of going to art school, but you studied at Ringling College of Art and Design. How was that? Because their their motto was something like shattering the myth of the starving artist. Or how did that or did that connect with you at all? I went into the school with like a very different mentality, like at a fine arts background. So like I was very traditional and very kind of old school. I think what helped me most being at Ringling College was that they show, they, they train students to be professional with their, not just mm-hmm. their work, but their, their presentation. Mm-hmm. And and then they make them a lot more goal-oriented, so that helped me a lot, too. And that's not to say that other schools don't do that, but Ringling... Yeah, of course not. Yeah, Ringling definitely prides on introducing a lot of new technology and software and kind of approaches to students. So I didn't... I wasn't really a very organized, goal-oriented person before school. I was just like, I want to draw and I want to paint and that's it and do comics and whatever. Yeah, and yeah, being at Ringling, I just have the structure and the guidance that I needed to kind of harness and, and I, I guess to figure out, you know, where I am and what I want to do and how I want to do it. And Right. Yeah. It just made me a much more professional. Structured person. Structured person. Yeah. I, I've always been kind of like head in, head in the sky. It's really interesting that you say that because I feel like oftentimes all artists, not just you, just like all artists are unable to articulate verbally what they want to say. That's why they're so good at their art. Like, do you know what I mean? And, like, I'm not saying that you're... I, I'm not no, in, I'm so glad I'm not in, I'm not in any way saying that you're bad at articulating what you're trying to say. Like, you're so perfectly fine. But it's so interesting that you say that because... Or that you even say, like, I'm uncomfortable on video Skype or whatever because... It takes a different kind of person to do that. And, like, so interesting to me because you went to a school, it regulated you in the way that it should, but it wasn't like you have to be this way as an artist necessarily. My next question is, you've worked with a team of artists before for several comics. I don't know if you were in college at this time, but, like, I know that you've worked with a certain project with other artists. Is there any work from that, just in terms of, like, your resume, I guess, that you feel proud of or that you're just proud to have it on your resume or is it just kind of oh I was doing this to get to a certain point there are a few comics that I've worked on and one of them that that I really enjoyed doing and I was just a contributor so I only did a few pages was a war story comic and it's kind of reminiscent of weird war tales but it was called strangest war stories never told Mm-hmm. Um, and that was with a team of illustrators that went by the name of Riot Press. 
And that was really fun because they were all friends and stuff. But I think right. my favorite my favorite experience collaborating and working with other artists was actually during college. Mm-hmm. Because I've had I've had a few collaborations that were really neat, but I think the one that I valued the most because it was with some of the best friends that I've ever made were was was during college, and it was a comic yeah. that that you know is produced by the school called Meanwhile, and it mm-hmm. was like you know each person gets a two page story, and then it all together becomes each one kind of transitions into the other with with a Meanwhile kind of thing. So mine was in French actually, and it was um, oh. Yeah, and it was oh, like shit, a- bilingual spoke. <laughs> you know. Um, you know. Yeah, it's no big um, deal. It's not It's not a big deal. I can speak so many languages. It's not a big deal. I can live through so many civilizations. It's fine. Bye. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you understand that that's what bilingual means. At least to me, like, who's a nerd? If there was ever a point where, oh, my God, the world is ending and you had to, like, live several civilizations, you would be like, yeah, I'm good. I know so many languages. I'll figure shit out. Anyone who knows English is fucked because it's just, no, it's too young. Nobody gives a shit about English right now. Fuck. But any European language, is, yeah, of course. Like, of course we know about that. That's why any story that you have with Atlantis, they're just, what are, what the fuck are you talking about? And then someone speaks French, and they're just like, oh, we, yeah. And like, you know, all that shit. So, honestly, I think that was one of the questions, actually, that fact that you were, hold on, I actually don't know the term for it. You're a polygot? Oh. Yeah. Good for you. I you, you know, I didn't know the term either. Regardless of whether you know or not, you have you are that person, and that's really cool, especially now, and especially because you live in fucking Chicago. I'm just saying that's so valuable. If anything else fails, you have that skill, and like also just because you do your art and do everything, it just shows your sensitivity to other people. And I think I really like that. Maybe I'm dramatizing everything, or dramatizing rather everything, but... <laughs> I really like that about talking to you, and I'm supposed to talk to you about a lot about Hellboy, but I don't know if you want to talk about Hellboy, and you've talked about darker images, and you talked about Ringling College of Art and Design, how it was like a little bit stifling, so <laughs> is there any art history education that stuck with you, or was it kind of just, let me just do my own thing? You mean during During school, school I'm sorry, let me specify, like during school... While you were at Ringling College of Art and Design, were you like, okay, this is what I want to do, this is what I'm doing right now, or was it just kind of in Congress? Um, I think a lot of aspects of school contributed. I would not be where I am if I didn't have, you know, figure drawing classes and the fundamental courses. And art history, you know, that played a huge role. I, I wouldn't have had as much fuel to my work if I didn't have those, those courses. I'm very lucky, very grateful to have had that. Uh, mm-hmm. Was there anyone that you were intimidated by and you ended up working with them at your school or even in life? I'm really interested about that in terms of the hierarchy of power because with the comic book world, it can go both ways. It can go both yeah. like, oh, everything's uh, fine, to no, I know more than you, stop. I'm really curious about that as a woman, too, because women, I don't want to make it a gender thing. Like, we don't have to, but... Sometimes gender-wise, it can get a little dodgy about that. So I just wanted to ask you about that. You mean like, like in in terms just of just being like respected or understood or 
received by other creators, I guess, is like the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I used to be very in denial about that, that, you know, that women were treated any differently than men in this field. And then I had some experiences that, that kind of, I mean, not nothing like crazy or traumatic or anything, but, you know, here and there kind of picking up on, on some different treatment based on that. And yeah, it only made me want to work harder at be, being a, a more respectable artist and, and being recognized. Right, for yeah, of course. I think you can you can avoid that becoming an issue by the way that you represent yourself and work that you produce. I guess I always tell myself, like, as long as I know I'm doing the best work I can do, then that's not even a thing. And if someone right. takes it then that's not the, you know, the person or the audience that I want to be. <laughs> I guess I'm getting... I'm, well, I'm, I mean, that's what's so interesting to me because I'm like not trying to be a creep about it on a very objective level for me you're a very attractive girl and you've been shot in what I would assume to be modeling pictures and it's really interesting because I'm not accusing you of anything because I think that sexuality is just whatever it can be whatever it wants to be but it's really interesting to me because how do you deal with being an attractive woman doing your job well as an artist or does that not affect you at all i'm just curious about that because i like i even get sensitive about some shit on the street people are like yeah. you're so beautiful today and i'm just why are you talking to me <laughs> like no and it's funny because with you as a clearly attractive and talented person and like from what i can understand when i talk to you you're a very nice person it's interesting because do you feel like you get pigeonholed a little bit because you're just, okay, I'm attractive and I'm good at things, so now I'm just being pigeonholed into this thing? Like, I'm just curious about that because if that's not a if that's not the case, I would be so happy, but I just wanted to know if that was a thing. <laughs> you know, well, I will say it's not as, I mean, thank you. I'm very flattered that you... <laughs> that you said that, but it's not as much an issue as, as one would think. Or maybe I just do a very good job blocking it out sometimes. People that I work with are very professional, you know, like the people that I work alongside. And I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Good. Yeah, no, that's always really cool. And like, I'm always with people that I work with or work for. I'm like usually very respected and treated very normally. On another note, sometimes doing conventions is a little bit weird because not everybody comes to your table as a professional, so... Right, yeah, of course not. not. Always, yeah, not always are, are they going to approach you professionally, and so I have, like, really good ways of um, avoiding any any of that. I'm um, usually just... I just act really repulsive to make sure that, like, the message is, is made across, you know? Right. So, you know, if anyone ever does cross a line or, or assume that they can, you know, approach me a certain way, but anyway... That's really important to know just because... I think I asked that purely because I have been reading Bitch Planet, and it's really interesting because it is hard. It is hard to kind of be active in the just, like, being equal to man without it being seen as an attack. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, and because women have been culturally told to be that conscientious, it's been hard for everyone. It's really interesting that you say that because I think that there must be a little disconnect in cons especially, maybe not in the business as much, but in cons especially just among peers or whatever. It's just interesting to me because I also have my own hetero 
quote-unquote heteronormative ideas of what is not even right, but just what is cool or what isn't. And it's really interesting because you are a very talented musician as well. You're a great artist and you also do music with banjo, bass, guitar, and accordion. And it's one of those things that I'm curious because I, you know, occasionally jam with people just for silly, fun times, but whatever. And it's funny because I just want to know from you because I revere your art in a certain light that's above mine. What draws you to being so, I don't want to say just talented in art in general, but just like what draws you to other art forms like that? My mom was a guitarist and a musician growing up when she when she lived in Lebanon. And mm-hmm. so, so she, she, I think, is where I... I get that from, and she mm-hmm. was the one who got me to start playing guitar and gave me an accordion. And I guess I'm I'm very level of focus to like I can't really stay stuck to one thing. I have to kind of myself excited with different things. So right, um, I played music. I used to play in like a punk band when I lived in Miami with like my. That's best so best cool. Friend. What did you play? I played guitar and I sang and I had a terrible voice, but oh was, my god, you know, that's awesome! Okay, I'm in love with you. Okay, anyway, continue. <laughs> it was really no big fun. deal. It was it's fine. Like I'm just in love with you. Just keep going. <laughs> You're so cute. But it was it was like a, <laughs> it was like an all girl punk band and we were called Ouch. Wait, okay, sorry, like, I don't mean to cut you off, but, like, that's so awesome that you're musically talented as well, and you're also just well-versed in all languages. Like, how many languages do you know? Four, so I speak Arabic, French, Spanish, and English, and I'm working on... Soon I'm going to learn Romanian, but I don't know how successful I'll be, but... Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, even if we never speak again... Never apologize ever again about how you sound or what you're saying ever again. Honestly, I'm not bullshitting you. Like in any interview, you you're literally not allowed to do that because you're you've mastered three or four other languages. Like you literally can't say like, oh, sorry, I'm so awkward. No, fuck you. You've mastered three other languages. It's fine. Also, you've mastered so many art things with your hand. Just calm down. You're fine. I understand that artistic part of you can't let you relax, and that's a good thing because I have it too, but it's just not prolific. And I just want to reassure you, you're already successful, but whenever you get super successful, just remember that voice in your head that's, girl, you got this. It's fine. Like, you deserve this completely. Shut the fuck up and just go and do this thing. Because I really like that you're so stylistically diverse. That's the one thing that I liked about you so much. Because you're not that much older than me. And, you know, not to say that I have the same artistic skill as you, but I have the same will, and it's really interesting because you're very able to adapt to what people want or, like, adapt to a certain feeling, and I am not there yet. So it's really interesting because you're not that much older, and yet you have this insight that I don't. And I like talking to you just because I feel like I'm getting that insight from you. Thanks. Yeah, and you know, sometimes that's kind of all it takes. I think I was kind of a little bit uncertain about where I am or 
where I was going until I kind of had a conversation with someone who mm-hmm. maybe had a little bit, maybe not more experience, but just a different kind of experience. And that kind of opened my eyes a little, I guess. So, I mean, I hope that at least from, from this, maybe, you know, we learn from each other in, you know, certain some areas. But Honestly, my fantasy is that I'm going to seduce you into drawing my <laughs> art and I'm going to show you some character design and just be like, do this. And you're gonna be amazing at it, but let's let's not fun. touch upon that right now. <laughs> Don't worry, the interview's almost over. I'm gonna let you go soon. So I hear you're working on your own title. Can you share anything about it or like a pitch of it so we can promote it for you? Yeah, of course. I've been working on a graphic novel called it's, it's a French title, Luigi Traverse, but it's also in English, He Who Crosses. But it's a story about my, my mom and dad in the war in Lebanon in the 80s. So it's kind of like a tragic love story, but it's also, it has like some exciting war scenes and some dark imagery, but it also has some really, really romantic kind of Oh my God. Love love I love you in your life. It's so bad. <laughs> okay, that makes it sound so bad for your parents and your family, but like, ah, no, so no, good. I'm, you're so and fantastic and creative. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, no, and it's, it's really cool to have that history in my family that I can pull from and, and create from. So, yeah, and the whole story is narrated from letters between them. So, you know, that's how they communicate. <gasps> yes! Oh, my gosh, shut the fuck up. You're killing me right now. Oh, my God, no. Okay, regardless of everything... You have my email address or my number. Please, 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 I beg of you to keep me in touch with that because that sounds amazing. And I'm going to wrap this interview up saying, Danielle, thank you so much for this interview. It was so exciting to talk to you. And Comics First fans can look forward to being on your on the next podcast about Origins. I'm super excited. Yeah, so and good. if Anyone wants to check out Danielle's website, it's danielleattracti.com. So links to her sites, blogs, and everything, Instagram, Tumblr, everything. You can find it under that name. The Comics First website, comicsfirst.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com. Comics First, Twitter <laughs> at comicsfirst.com. Tumblr at comicsfirst.com. All the things. And thank you so much for listening And thank you so much for talking to me for this long because I'm being such an idiot about it and being such a fangirl, but thank you for talking to me for this long. And sorry for the technological bullshit, but let's let's keep up because for serious, in the most shameless way, your art is amazing. It's exactly what I want. And I don't know if you would ever like my story. Even if you, like, see my story and you're like, oh, no, I would want you to reject it. Do you know what I mean? I would. <laughs> so your word means so much to me, and you're so prolific and also experimental that I fuck with it. Like, please tolerate my shit. But on the other <laughs> end, thank you so much for doing this for me. Thank you, Kay, and thank you, Comics First.